If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so by visiting chriscarl.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find links to both Patreon and PayPal, where you can make donations. Any and all support is massively appreciated and a huge thank you to everyone that has supported thus far. So something that's developed with me over the past few years for sure is a profound sense of what I do and don't like. And uh, what I used to do was follow a lot of people through Instagram uh, or through what was when when Facebook wasn't just people sharing completely false political information, Um, following people more out of politeness and out of friendship than out of, you know, work that inspired me. And, And one of the best choices I made over the last few years is to just create a feed of inspiration essentially where I'm always seeing stuff that just makes me want to pick up a camera makes me want to go out and shoot makes me want to try new things uh, makes me feel um, like I want to be a photographer rather than seeing stuff and it being more going in the other direction and someone who gives me a tremendous feeling like that and I was absolutely shocked to find out they're in England I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce your name I'm probably going to ask you to pronounce that at some point uh, over the course of this because as someone who has an extremely foreign name I know how annoying it is when people mispronounce but before we start with anything to do with your wonderfully consistent editing style, uh, shooting in medium format, what your opinions are on good models, all of that good stuff that's coming up, let's just start off with what made you pick up a camera in the first place? Uh, why did you want to become a photographer? I mean, it's it's been quite a long journey for me, to be honest. Uh, I started shooting back in high school, so I am 29 years old now, turning 30 in uh, I think a week and a half. Um, and I, yeah, I, Probably started maybe at the age 16, 17. So I've been, been doing photography for well over a decade now. Um, and uh, yeah, I I started, I don't know, just because I, I was just drawn to, to photography. I mean, the, the story I tell people a lot of times is I actually started out shooting cars. Um, because uh, I am a big petrol head, and uh, growing up, I was fortunate. I was fortunate enough um, where my dad was or is um, in the Porsche Club in the Philippines, and and he is a big car guy as well. So um, growing up in my teen years, I would always join him on a Sunday morning, um, where the club guys would go on a drive and then go for breakfast, and. You know, at the time I didn't have my own camera yet. So I actually started out shooting with my parents point and shoot camera. And uh, I would take photos of the cars, uh, during, um, during breakfast. And, um, yeah, I, I guess it basically started there. And, um, and then I, re- I also remember at, at school, um, we, were, we, they, they, they needed some people to, to shoot sports, for example. Um, and so I kind of borrowed somebody else's DSL camera and then I was shooting tennis, for example, and I really enjoyed it. And um, that's really, I think, where it began. And then I decided to uh, buy my own uh, DSLR, uh, which I remember uh, it was a Nikon um, or, or Nikon, uh, <laughs> uh, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Um, it was a yeah. It was a Nikon D D forty, um, and yeah. And then from from there, I just uh, just continued shooting cars, and then um, and then kind of just like experimented with many different genres of things. I I, I shot some people. I shot food. I shot still life. I shot, I shot everything. Um, and then it was maybe probably halfway through my journey. So probably, so maybe five or six years in where I, I kind of realized that I really loved shooting people. And so I decided to focus more um, on portrait photography. And yeah, from, from then on, it's, it's basically just, just progressed uh, to the point where, yeah, I, I, I mainly now focus on, uh, on portrait and, and, and fashion photography. Well, I mean, firstly, happy birthday in advance for a week and a half's time. It's not often I, I do get the opportunity to uh, talk to people on the podcast that are actually younger than me, but that's slowly becoming more and more common, which is somewhat depressing. So thanks for <laughs> making me feel old. But um, let's, let's head back to photographing people. So 
It feels like it's a big crossroads for a lot of different photographers. Um, they start off, you do the usual thing, you photograph family, you photograph, you know, your trip to the beach or whatever. When you first get a camera and you just kind of take pictures of anything and everything because you're excited by the process. And then people get to that like fork in the road where they either love photographing people or they're absolutely terrified or hate it. So what is it about photographing people that you enjoy so much? Oh, that is, um, oh, that is, that is a very good question, actually. I mean, for me, it's just the whole, I guess, interaction and, and basically, you know, trying to find the best way to show somebody in a photo. And it, it just, to my eye, like my eye just gets, just gets drawn to kind of like trying to find that like beauty, um, uh, in the person which I'm shooting. And yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to explain, but it's, it's just something that like, I really do enjoy shooting over other forms of photography. And I guess the added side benefit of, you know, of shooting people is that, um, which I think is, is fantastic. It's, yeah, you, you end up meeting a ton of people. I've said this before on the podcast, the process of photographing cars or landscapes or architecture or food or anything like that is that it doesn't feed back. It doesn't, it doesn't give you anything back as you're going. It doesn't, it, you, yeah, know, you, yeah. you don't have to build up a relationship with a car to be able to get the most expression and, and comfortability with the car. Whereas with people, it feels like the photography side of things is very secondary to the psychological side of things. You see people that are fantastic technical photographers, but they take very mundane pictures of people. And there are other people that aren't perhaps particularly technical when it comes to using a camera, but they get fantastically expressive images that, that always resonate better with everybody except for sociopaths. So <laughs> is, is the process of actually shooting people the part you enjoy the most, or is it the images that you get afterwards? So, uh, yeah, um, that is actually a very, very good point, which you bring up um, because shooting people, uh, when you shoot people, your photos don't need to be technically perfect. Um, and um, a lot of times when when you shoot people, or at least when when I shoot a person, I'm I'm a I'm trying to portray the personality on the photo or I'm trying to portray an emotion through the photo with them. And. And so, um, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah. So, um, for me, I think it's the, well, it's actually both. It is the process. I love the whole process of interacting with the person, which I think is, is, is extremely crucial to be able to take a good portrait because, and it's something I do in, in a lot of my shoots when I'm meeting the person for the first time to shoot them. I spend probably maybe the first 15 to 20 minutes um, just talking with the person, trying to find out who they are, how their personality is, and trying to build that rapport, which I think is extremely, extremely crucial when you're photographing a person. And I can really tell on shoots where, you know, there, is, there isn't much time to basically build that rapport and get to know the, the person beforehand. I can kind of tell that the, the photos aren't as good as they could have been. Um, and yeah. And then, so then, and going back to your, to your other point. Um, yeah, I do enjoy the process and I do enjoy the final product. And for me, like what, what a good final product is, is a photo where a person can look at it and it portrays some kind of emotion. Right. And that, yeah. And I think that emotion is something which is lacking when you shoot other, um, other things, whether it be food or whether, well, I mean, I guess some people ha can get emotional about food. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, or, or maybe like still life or maybe like, uh, or, or cars. Um, yeah. Well, it feels like every other kind of photography, generally speaking is, is an exercise in technicality. Whereas photographing people is, is kind of, like I said, it's more of an expressive thing. Um, you know, you look at someone, I mean, not that he has the best reputation in the history of the world or anything, but Terry Richardson doesn't do a lot that's technically particularly interesting, but his interaction with the people that he photographs and what he pulls out of people tends to be the reason that he made it to where he did 
I suppose there might be some other factors that I probably shouldn't have used Terry Richardson as an example. <laughs> With yourself, when it comes to picking subjects, when it comes to picking models, what are you looking for uh, from a model? What makes a model stand out to you? So, okay, yeah, this is a good question. And I, I recently had a, a short discussion um, about it with a, um, with a friend of mine who, who is a model. And so for me, what I look for in a model is a person with a unique look. Um, and more importantly, a person which can portray various emotions and which has more than one look. Because, And I, 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 I tell this to other people, but like, Anybody can, well, maybe not anybody, but like a lot of people, especially if you are, um, if you are good looking, can say that they're a model if they, if they pose in front of a camera, but that doesn't mean that they're a good model. So just because you, just because you have a pretty face or you have a good looking face does not make you a good model because I've shot. I've shot some models that are ex- that are extremely beautiful, but when you actually do shoot with them and you actually look at the final results, they just have one look. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, that is um, looks-wise is is only one part of the equation. And um, yeah, essentially, a model that can portray various different emotions, which is why I actually think that. If the person is uh, is an actor or an actress, they can actually be quite good models, just because they can they can essentially play a character, um, which uh, which is what I actually which is what I, I do sometimes with my subjects. I tell I I, I describe a, a character for them to portray, um, and I think that does help um, in that that does help get the photo that I want. Well, it's, it's something that, that I've really thought about the last couple of years with the rise of, and I really despise the term, but with the rise of influencers and with e-com becoming probably the most frequent modeling jobs that people get, it feels like kind of what you're alluding to there, that there's a lot of uh, models that, that don't have a tremendous amount of range, don't have a tremendous amount of um, dexterity when it comes to being in front of a camera other than Peter Coulson, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, refers to uh, their posing cycles as Macarena's, which I think is pretty fitting. When it comes to the way I've seen it the last year or so, certainly with the people that I photographed, there certainly seems to be a lot of value to looking for performers over what models have become. So if you look for someone that does work in acting or does work in in music in some some way, shape or form, or theater or something like that, something where they can kind of let themselves go and, and just, you know, take, have the, have the strength and the courage to have bad photos taken so that you can get to the good ones. That seems to be where I find the, the better subjects have in front of a camera. And do you feel like there's, um, depending on your experience, obviously, but do you feel like there's benefits to finding people that are more performers than models? Yeah, uh, I, I, I would think so, um, because I, you know, again, going back to what I mentioned earlier about whether the person is is an actor or an actress, and and how that can help, that 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 can help in that they know how to how to convey a certain look or how to convey how to convey a certain emotion. So yeah, I I do think people that are trained in 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 the in in the arts uh, you know with especially in terms of play in uh, sorry especially in terms of uh, performing arts i do think they can they can make quite good models and i mean if we even take dancers for example dancers a lot of times can can pull off uh poses which which not many people can do right um yeah 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 so yeah i i i do think there is a um, they, they can make quite good models. Yeah. Well, something that, that kind of rings true with your work is that it, it definitely feels like there's a certain level of pre-production and, and there's with every shoot that I see, every image I see on your website, as I currently scroll through your uh, portraits page and, and every image I see of yours, it feels like there was a lot of thought behind more than just the person in the camera. There's thought behind the light. 
there's thought behind the styling, the expression, uh, the, the you know the the technical aspects of how you use the camera. It feels like that it's there's certainly been lots of choices made as opposed to lots of happy accidents, um, which is how a lot of people tend to go about photography, which is they focus on one element and everything else either falls in place and they get a great photo or it doesn't and they can't work out why because they focused on the one thing that they were happy with. What I think you're not giving yourself credit for, and it's not, you know, I like to make people that I like give themselves lots of credit, is that you have to pick the right model for the idea that you have, correct? You have to pick someone that fits the look of the idea that you have in mind. So with that said, is it, do you have like a mood board or lots of mood boards of different ideas of stuff you want to shoot and then you seek out models for that? Or when you find a model, do you then build the idea around the person? Mm, yeah, that that is a that is a good question. Um, so I actually do both. Um, so you know, you did mention the whole aspect of pre-production, um, which I think is crucial uh, in terms of being able to take a good photo or or a good coherent set of photos. Um, that said, you know, it's, it's not something, it's, it's something I do a lot, but I also do photos on the fly and the way that I manage those two are, um, are a bit different, but if we just go to the pre-production aspect first, yes, I do have a number of mood boards. So I use things like Pinterest and, um, and Instagram, and I put various mood boards together of ideas, which I would want to shoot. And I just have them there in the background. I, uh, yeah, I just have them there in the background. Um, and if I see a model which could fit a certain look um, for the mood board, um, then I may uh, ask the model if they would be interested in collaborating to do that, that. But there are other times where I have the mood boards in the background and I have people um, contacting me uh, asking if, um, asking if, uh, if I'd be willing to collaborate and if they have the, if they have a look, which, which I know would fit one of my ideas, then I would say yes. If I can jump in there real quick. So something yeah, yeah, that I have, something that I have with mood boards is, and I've, I've fallen out of this a little bit and I, I need to get back in, into, I think because of the last year, I think we've maybe, I'm just giving myself an excuse here, but a lot of us have developed bad habits or where, where shoots have been so sporadic, you know, maybe loose ends aren't getting tied up quite as well. And something that I used to force myself to do was to, um, I'd have a mood board in place for a shoot, but while I was shooting, I wouldn't pay attention to the mood board because I didn't want to get into the point of kind of replicating images or, you know, kind of just recreating stuff, which obviously beyond just it being kind of ethically a bit crappy there's there's the whole side of it just not making your work particularly original so it's not particularly self-beneficial either are you actually like while you're shooting are you constantly referencing uh the the mood board and and you actually have the restraint to not just outright copy people like i would because i'm stupid so um that that is a good point you bring up and a lot of times I actually for, I, I do actually forget to look at the mood board during the shoot. Um so uh it's it's kind of there in the model and I know what the general idea is and a lot of times I just forget to look at it during the shoot. That said, lately I've I, I've been making more of an effort to reference back, but I I, I do it less to I guess you could say copy. But um, I, I just used the, the, the mood board uh, more for posing ideas because mm-hmm. I, I basically build off the general concept. I make it my own. Um, and, then, uh, and then if there are some, some cool poses, for example, um, then, I could, then I will use those. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it is something I need to actively remind myself to do. Well, coming from uh, previously, I was, I was working in music. and. Um, one thing that I learned very quickly, and it's the best bit of advice I was ever given, was that just whatever project you're doing, you always need to be the least talented person there. And then everything is going to bring you up because you're, you're, you're sort of, you're treading water trying to keep up with everyone around you. It makes you push harder. It makes you attempt to improve. It makes you attempt to live up to the people around you. And you learn a lot from people that are more talented than you. Um, and you mentioned at the beginning being a bit of a petrol head and liking cars. 
And I use a car in that, although I'm not a car person in the slightest, I do apologize. But although I'm not a car person, I do use a car analogy for when I talk oh. to people about models. When I, when I speak to people that are new to photography, that are new to photographing, they want to get into model photography, some kind of you know portraiture or fashion or anything like that. I always give them an analogy that's to do with cars when it comes to how they go about picking their models. And I say to them, if you think about it like this, if I said to you, you can photograph a Lamborghini or you could photograph a Ford Focus, which one are you going to pick? Right? It's a pretty straightforward thing. If it's just a one-for-one situation, a lot of people are going to pick the Lamborghini because it's more of an aesthetically interesting car. That's how you kind of have to view models. It's, it's very, especially when you're early and you're building up your portfolio, you, you're very keen to shoot anybody and everybody. But in actual fact, it's so helpful. And I don't think photographers give models enough credit for this. It's so helpful to work with really, really good models as much as you can, because they give so much back in terms of what you learn from the shoot, the images that you get. You'll walk away with stuff that you had no idea you were even capable of getting. I, I think right. a, a shoot tends to break down into being a bit of a 50-50 partnership. Even if you have a whole team, you have stylists and makeup artists and so on, when it really comes down to um, nut-cutting time, it's really you and a model and the, how much you give each other or how much work you have to do for each other can really dictate how good the photos are. So finding the best possible model for the, for the work that you're doing is, is absolutely imperative. And especially early on, it will, it will kind of get you rolling a lot quicker. If I could ask you one question, and it's, it sounds like a bit of a negative question, but I want it to, I want it to, I want it to be a positive for people listening. Have, yeah. you ever, have you ever done a shoot where it just it isn't working between you and the model? The images just aren't coming out the way you want. Um, maybe you're not clicking, anything like that. And how did you kind of push through that? Oh yeah. Um, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I I can think of one shoot in particular. Um, this was more of so. This was a couple years back. It was more of a collaboration um, uh, with an influencer, um, and it was supposed to be a simple kind of just like street shoot. Um, but it actually turned out to be probably, I would say one of my worst shoots, um, probably with the main reason being, um, with the main reason being, I guess there was, well, a, there was a lack of, of probably rapport building. So it was a bit of a rush shoot. And just the whole interaction between me and the model just didn't go very, very, very well. Mm-hmm. And so also with me giving direction to try to direct the model, um, the model, I guess, had a hard time uh, following the directions I was giving. So um, in the end, we, we, we got the shots and the shots were, I guess you could say decent, but I personally wasn't happy with the shots, so I never actually, um, they have never actually been posted anywhere or shown anywhere. Um, but yeah, yeah, so that, that was probably my worst experience. But yeah, I mean, so, you know, to, to kind of answer your, your question, even in a shoot like that where things don't seem to be going so well, you just have to make do with what you have and try to get the best shot that you can get. Um, yeah, so even though the shots didn't, didn't live up to my standard, I'm, I'm sure other people would have thought they're okay, but yeah, personally, I wasn't happy. Well, everyone's always their own worst critic, at least normal people. I feel like that's the case. It's, yeah, true. I'm going for a very down time at the moment of just not liking anything I'm producing and being very frustrated constantly, which is, um, which is obviously great on the back of a pandemic where I've barely shot. But you have to just push through it and you have to keep trying and you have to you have to work out. I find that when I've done a shoot and I just haven't clicked with the model and maybe the images haven't come out the way I expected, that lingers with me for quite a while. And it takes me a little while to to kind of push past that and and roll on to the next one. And and what I've always found the best solution for that is to just jump straight back on the horse and and don't 
sort of sit around thinking about it too much, just get back to shooting and get back to planning, get back to um, working. Cause I feel like creativity blocks and lack of confidence, a lot of it comes from a lack of activity and where you sit down and you dwell about stuff uh, that really doesn't matter. Um, if I could ask you to do a little bit of sort of self criticism or self critiquing here, in, or maybe it's not critiquing. I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I feel like English isn't even my first language and I'm English. But if you were to do a bit, ah, self-evaluation, ah, I feel better. If you were to do a bit of self-evaluation, um, what's the most important element to your images? So let's take your portraits on your website, for example. Um, the images that you pick from a shoot, um, there's people that base their, there's always a priority, like the most important thing that they look for. Some people look for like body shape. Some people look for how the colors are working. Some people look at the styling. Some people look at the expression. There's a surprising amount of people that seem to pick and choose based on whether or not something's in focus, which is terrifying. What's the most important sort of factor or element of, of an image where it could make its way onto your portfolio? Oh, yeah. That, 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 that's a tough one. So, um, I guess you were asking, so when I am, so when I'm calling the images after a shoot, mm -hmm. you are, you're, you're basically asking, you know, when I go through that process, which ones do I pick, right? Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, with whether it can convey a kind of emotion or whether that's, there's an emotional response when you're looking at a photo. So um, whether that be um, the action that they are doing or whether it be the expression on their face. Um, yeah, I, 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 I would probably think uh, it is facial expression, which is probably one of the biggest aspects, which draws me to pick a photo. And then of course you have the other technical aspects such as composition, lighting. Um, lighting is actually a big one for me, uh, especially because I, I do think like the, the, one of the biggest aspects in photography is actually lighting because mm -hmm. you, you can, you can actually make almost anything look good with the right lighting. Um, and if a photo has, has bad lighting, it's actually quite difficult or to to make it into a good photo in post. So it, it, it always helps when you always have the lighting correctly done when when you shoot and when you pick that photo. I mean, you mentioned sort of an emotional response there and the, the flip side of what I was talking about at the beginning about photographing people and the way that it's it's very much a balance of really dealing with the person almost more than dealing with the camera compared to other types of photography, the downside of it, and it's something that it took me a really long time to figure out. And it was actually not photographing like portraits and fashion stuff that taught me, but it was shooting weddings was that it's important to separate your emotion about the shoot from the shot. So you might have really enjoyed a specific part of a shoot or not enjoyed it. And that might affect the way that you go about judging the images after the shoot when you're doing your cull, because you might have an emotional response to a point in a shoot that no one's going to know about because they weren't on the shoot. They're not going to know about the backstory. They're just looking at the image. And it takes quite a lot for, um, again, non-sociopaths to be able to separate the emotion of the shoot from the emotion that you want the shot to tell. And I think that is something that does take a little bit of learning. All right. With your, with your images overall, how, I mean, let, let's talk about your directorial style because it's something that when I look for your work, I get the impression that you're a very, very relaxing person to shoot with because it feels like everybody's extremely <laughs> comfortable. I look, through, I look through a lot of people's portfolios for the podcast and because I'm a psychopath and I spend a lot of time looking at photography. And one of the things I always look at is hands. I feel like someone tells you how comfortable they are in a photo with their hands their face they can lie with, but their hands usually give the game away. And everybody in your right. portfolio seems to be so relaxed. So either you're working with some people that are very good at hiding about hiding how terrifying you are, or you're just a very, very cool guy to work with. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would like to think it's the latter. I would like to think I am a very cool guy 
to work with. Um, I mean, I I can't speak for for the people and for the models I've shot with, but um, you know, again, this I think it goes back to the whole aspect of building rapport, especially pr- prior to shooting with a person, mm-hmm. um, because. I think it's extremely important for the person you're shooting to be comfortable before you shoot, because if they're not, it does show up in the shots. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, so I, I, I do make that effort. And I think as a person, I'm quite an easy person to get along with. I'm, I'm you know, I'm generally pretty, pretty relaxed. Um, and that's how I am on my shoots as well. And, you know, go, going on to, my directorial style a, a little bit it's actually quite um quite in, i'm i'm actually quite engaged so you know there are photographers which barely say anything um during a shoot to the model i'm actually the opposite i'm i'm pretty much talking the whole time and um whether it be uh suggesting uh, you know suggesting changes to to the pose or getting feedback on whether on whether it it it's a sick shot uh, you know trying trying to give that that positive reinforcement um to the model which i think also helps and of course i mean i when i say positive reinforcement i i i, I don't say it when when it's not there but when we are actually creating really good work then that definitely comes out and i do verbalize it yeah, I mean, it's just, it's something that you, I've seen on workshops so much. Um, I've taught workshops. I've been on a few workshops as a, as a participant. And that's really the only time as a photographer, I get to watch other photographers' directorial style or the way that they work. And obviously it's completely skewed because they know that there's other people in the room. So they, they sort of respond differently. You never get like a really clear idea of how someone actually works, but it's amazing yeah. to me the amount of people that when they shoot, they're just dead silent and they're just taking pictures and taking pictures and. It feels like it's a very, um, it's a very clinical process with very little feedback. And I've got to feel like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in no danger at any point in my life of becoming a model, but I've got to feel like if I was stood in front of a camera (laughs) and there's someone just taking pictures while they just stare straight at me without any feedback at all, it would just, I think I would crumble pretty quickly at how terrifying a process that might be. Oh, for sure. I have to ask you a question and it's going to feel like I'm really attacking you. I'm sorry. But sure, I have sure. to ask it. I'm currently absolutely obsessed with the work of Peter Lindbergh and especially his black and white work. And I'm always fascinated by photographers that don't really shoot black and white. So I have to ask you, wh- why the hatred for black and white? Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I, uh, I don't actually hate black and white. Um, I actually do enjoy it. Um, and you know, I was actually, uh, doing a shoot, wait, today is Thursday. I was doing a shoot, um, I think yesterday or the day before. And, um, I shoot with two cameras. Um, and one of them, I, I generally leave in black and white, um, with a, um, with a film recipe for, uh, for Kodak Tri-X 400, uh, cause I quite like the whole gritty, grainy, very high contrast black and white look. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the shots I shot on, uh, with that camera, I absolutely love to the point that I don't even need to edit them. Um, and so I think the reason why you don't see a lot of black and white in my work is just because, um, I just don't shoot it too often, but it's, it's more that I think a a lot of my style has to do with my color. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and a lot of people do comment on, on the colors in my photo and it's, it's just something which I personally love. So I, I just love color. Um, and so it's something which I try to focus on in my photos and I pay particular attention to when I do plan the photos. So I will always try to make sure that, for example, that the, the outfit, which the person is wearing is, is, um, is complemented by the environment in some way. And so I, I do use like, like a, a triad color scheme or a, or a analogous color scheme a lot, um, sometimes complementary, but they are very big parts of the way that I plan a shoot and the way that I shoot. Yeah. You've kind of given me a fork in the road. This does happen. So, um, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but basically I'll have 
I have a list of bullet points. They're not questions, but there's stuff that I want to touch on. And then sometimes a guest will give me like a road to go down that kind of is not on the bullet point list, but I can kind of use it as a way background. And um, it seems like lately every podcast I do, I get to a point where I'm halfway through listening to an answer and I'm like, oh, okay, I know what my next question is going to be. And then they'll say something yeah. else and I'm left with two options. And like most men, I'm not particularly good if I'm given two choices. Um, I mean, let's talk about your overall, like your color style, your editing style, the presentation of your work in general. I have to admit, as much as I do jest about um, black and white, it's, it's the, the biggest draw of your work is definitely the color. You have a wonderful consistency. It's like, I'm so boring because I repeat this so much, but consistency in style and editing and so on is so important to me when it comes to following people, when it comes to liking work. Um, and you've got it in spades. How do you go about creating that consistency with your style and also at the same time evolving and, and, and continuing to improve? So that is an interesting question. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I'll, I'll talk about the consistency aspect of it first and I guess the way that I see myself because I think maybe other people might see it differently but um, one thing which I'm which I'm I'm inspired by is film photography and it's and I love the whole or the whole organicness of the film look and it's something I try to emulate in my photos now the ironic thing is I've never shot film um, and I don't really have any plans to do it, but I'm just in love with the look. So it's it, it's it's definitely a big part of my style. I'd say I I try to keep my photos organic and less digital looking because I don't actually like the digital look. Um, so yeah, so I I basically categorize myself as organic, probably soft romantic, um, with a particularly focus on colors and more on the warmer tones. Now it wasn't always like that. Um, you know, years ago, I my my color palette was actually uh, skewed towards the cooler tones, um, and I guess it was a bit more digital looking then. But I've definitely honed down my style to uh, to be what it is today, um, which I hope is you know conveyed in 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 my photos. But I. The funny thing is, I don't necessarily actively make an effort to make them consistent. Now, there will be certain things which I maybe stay away from shooting. Um, uh, you know, whether it be a a neon themed shoot, for example, um, I I don't mind doing them, but they just they generally don't fit the kind of vibe and the kind of style that I do. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's I. I guess my style just comes out because when I shoot the photo and when I edit the photo, I, it's just something which I look for uh, in a photo and that just comes across, but I don't actively try to make it consistent also because I don't actually think, um, I, I think actually as well, being too consistent is also detrimental um, to a photographer because it kind of stifles your creativity in a way because you are, you always have this like same look. And so you, you may be afraid to kind of experiment and, uh, and branch out into a different look. A hundred percent agree. And that's been my biggest problem for the last few years is just being so focused on consistency and, and you actually put it perfectly there, that kind of fear of, of moving away from it that does stifle your creativity. And that's been, that's been a real issue for me. That's something that I want to focus on. Uh, hopefully breaking in the next year or so, although I don't know if it's going to take an entire mental breakdown for me to get through it. You mentioned the film look and uh, I've got to feel like part of that. And I'm, this is a really creepy way to lead into this, but I kind of checked out your hashtags on your posts mm -hmm. as much as, mm -hmm. as the posts. And, you know, I, I'm very thorough with my research. I could tell you your home address, right? I, I didn't, I don't know your home address. I'm just oh, joking. No. Oh, I'm no. just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> but you're shooting, I believe, uh, Fuji medium format. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I, um, I, I, I moved over to, uh, to Fuji medium format a couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got to feel like that's a huge part of getting that film look that, that really can, it's, it's, it's a wonderful mix. I've, I've shot on, uh, one Fuji medium format twice, um, ever. And it's a wonderful mix of that, that kind of very, very, 
interesting depth of field where you're pulling people out and you're really separating them. But also it gets so much detail in the shot that you get a lot of context within it as well. It's a really, really fantastic mix. It's something that I definitely like to get into. Um, what was it that made you jump from, I'm assuming you were full frame before and then you moved over to, to the medium format? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, the 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 story behind that is so I I I've been showing or I was shooting Sony uh, for the past number of years. So I was shooting on the Sony A7 III, um, which is a great camera, um, and it produced it, it it allowed me to produce some great shots. But I had already, I had been thinking about moving over to Fujifilm for a while now, and part of that stemmed from the fact that. While I was shooting with my Sony, I had a second camera body in the form of the Fujifilm X100B. Now, for the people that don't know what that is, it's it's um, it's a little uh, compact uh, fixed lens camera um, with a crop sensor in it. So it's essentially the same as Fuji's X-T4 or higher end cameras, but in a very compact fixed lens body, well, equivalent to a 35 millimeter. And you know, despite the fact that the Fujifilm, the X100D, was the cheaper camera, it had the smaller sensor, it was fixed lens, I absolutely loved shooting with it, probably more so than my Sony. Um, and I loved the results out of it, particularly because, you know, in my opinion, Fuji Fujifilm color science is, um, is unmatched. Mm-hmm. There, uh, yeah, there, it's, it's so good, um, I think, uh, that a lot of times, and I've had certain times, for example, where I came out of a shoot and I was already happy with the JPEGs coming out of the camera. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing was that I kind of felt that if the photo wasn't edited, um, it shouldn't be posted. So there was a point where I really wanted to post a, a set of photos from, from, from the, from the excellent for example, but I was actually scared to post the, uh, the, the unedited JPEGs because they were not edited. Um, but in the end I actually did post them and yeah, I mean, the response from, from people was great. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I think, that kind of ignited my my interest for moving fully o- over to Fujifilm and you know get, getting away from from Sony. But I told myself that if I did want to move o- over to Fujifilm, I wouldn't want to go uh, crop sensor twice. So I, when Fujifilm came out with their new uh, G- GFX 100s. Mm-hmm. I uh, I saw that as an opportunity to uh, to fully move over to Fujifilm, and yeah, I'm honestly quite happy with it. Now, I wouldn't recommend it for everybody um, because I still think it's quite a niche camera, and the advantages over full frame, while they are there, I don't know if for most people it would be worth the price. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean. Oh, Honestly, um, yeah, very happy moving over to a medium format. That said, I, I think, you know, going back to the whole film look aspect, I'm not entirely sure if, you know, if digital medium format does, does bring an, does bring more of a film look to photos just because I actually think one of the, one of the, characteristics of the film look is actually less sharpness. So with digital sensors and digital cameras and increasingly with modern lenses, modern lenses have gotten so sharp, so clinically sharp to the point that they lack character. Yep. Um, which is one thing which I think uh, older film lenses had and also older, older lenses were, weren't as sharp. And so actually um, it's, it's actually uh it's actually funny, but when I shoot with my medium format, uh, with, with my digital medium format Fuji, I actually reduce the sharpness and the clarity mm-hmm. um, because the shots have so much detail and are so sharp, which is great for when you need it. But for my particular look, um, I, uh, I, I don't necessarily look for that sharpness. So I, 
I actually on purposely make it less sharp and I use a, um, a different black pro mist filter as well for all, all my shots, which adds diffusion, uh, into the highlights, which is actually another characteristics of film, uh, because digital sensors, when you blow out highlights, um, it's just a straight cut and it's quite a harsh cutoff. Yep. And while, while film, because uh, I guess it's part of it being organic, even if you, even if you try to blow out a highlight, the roll off from the highlight to the mid zone is much smoother, yes. which I think using a diffusion filter gives you. So I guess it's, it's a combination of, of all of those, which kind of adds to that organic film look, which I personally like, and which I try to have my photos, um, which I try to have in my photos. And what, what, um, out of interest, what pro mist are you using? The one, eight, the, the, the quarter, the half. So, uh, I'm using the, I'm using the one fourth and okay. it pretty much lives, uh, on my camera 24 seven, unless I'm shooting something like food or, um, or, or automotive or something like, or something like that, where you kind of do want that sharpness, then I will take it off. Well, far be it from me to to make a recommendation on a lens that A, I've never tried and B, on a camera that I've never used. But um, something that I have used uh, plenty when I was on the Fuji X-T3, my absolute favorite lens for that, I think other than maybe the 16mm 1.4, my absolute favorite lens was a um, Mitocon 35mm f0.95. And it's a wonderful incredibly uncorrected, incredibly wide open, very, very ghosty, soft, um, wide open. It's wonderfully ghosty and soft, but uh, it does sharpen up if you want it to, but that's not really what it's for. Yeah. And it, it, it really softened down the digital look that I felt that you got from the X-T3 and I'm on the ACE, I'm switched to Sony because my wife moaned enough that I ended up switching to Sony. It's a long story. It's not <laughs> worth listening to. But I switched to the um, A7-3s and this past month or maybe two months ago, I actually picked up the Mitocon 50mm 0.95. And it's, again, it's wonderfully ghosty, ghostly. It's not corrected. So you get spherical aberration. You get a little bit of ghosting. You get, a, you know, you get all of the things that give a lens a bit of character. And it feels like an old lens and incredibly robust. This isn't a sponsored post, by the way. This is just, it's very rare I speak about gear. And I recently found out that they actually make a 65mm 1.4 for the GFX. They, they do indeed, yes. Yeah. Oh, so you know about this lens. I thought I was like revealing something super exciting. <laughs> no, um, I, yeah, I, I, I actually do know about it because um, I did read into it because one, one of the complaints um, with the Fuji digital medium format system right now is their lack of very fast glass. Mm -hmm. Um, so in, you know, I'm, I am a bit of a, uh, I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to like camera gear. So I might get a bit too much detail, but, um, one of the things with medium format lenses is that they've traditionally never been that fast because uh, you would, you would essentially need to have a ginormous lens to, uh, to be able to, um, to illuminate the entire frame. Right. And so they've, they've, they've normally never gone, I think past below F 1.9 or F two traditionally, but, um, with the digital medium formats, they are essentially crop medium formats. So they are smaller than, than the film medium formats, uh, but around 70% larger than full frame. And so because of that, you kind of need faster lenses to um, to get the same shallow depth of field as you traditionally would with film medium format. And so Fuji, up, up until recently, their fastest lens was the 110 F2 for digital medium format, which if you convert it down to full frame is, I believe, a 85 1.6. So you could essentially get the same depth of field with an, or you got to get more depth of field with an 85 1.4 in full frame. Mm -hmm. And so it was only recently where they came out with their new 80 millimeter 1.7 lens. And that's tooted as being the, the fastest autofocus medium format lens in existence, which, you know, it is, but 
it's still it's still only equivalent to a 63 uh, f1.3 okay so essentially um the the glass isn't the 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 fuji glass is basically the faster you can get is 1.7 so i was trying to look if there was a way to maybe get even faster glass and that's how the mythicon 65 1.4 uh basically popped up uh in my view um and so while it is a tempting lens the 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 thought of having to manual focus a 1.4 lens with uh, which is equivalent to uh i think f 1.1 in full frame uh gives me nightmares so i've <laughs> i've i've decided uh, that i may hold off uh, on it for now well, there's a, there's a couple of photographers I've had previously on the podcast who shoot with the same camera or similar camera to you, one of the iterations of the Fuji medium format. And um, it's Alan Howard and Phil Sharp, both of whom I believe use adapters to be able to use older lenses and they manually focus with those, which I understand is, is fairly terrifying. I actually really enjoy manually focusing. Um, but then, like I previously mentioned, I'm a bit of a psychopath. And both of their works... Um, have this this wonderful ability to kind of blend the the benefits of digital with uh, the look of film. So they were the ones that kind of put me on the trail. And and uh, having had the same thing with when I was on Fuji, looking at the the thirty five mil zero point nine five, I ended up just kind of looking into it. And I I really thought I was revealing something new then. But you seem to know a hell of a lot more about gear than I do. So I'm going to give up while I'm ahead. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. So as as someone sure. that shoots fashion. Do you pay much attention to kind of like fashion trends and so on away from photography? Do you actually like read fashion or not read, but do you actually like look through fashion magazines? Um, I'm I'm going to assume to give the game away a little bit here, but I'm going to assume that you're quite a well-dressed gentleman because of the name of your website. So is fashion something that's a keen interest of yours? Uh, yeah, actually, it's it's a massive uh, it's a massive interest of mine. It has been for a while. So, yeah, you you do bring up a good point. So, my brand, which which I basically use, is that dapper photographer. And the, the reason why I chose to go with that brand as opposed to what a lot of photographers do with with their first name last name photography is I think it I think a it's unique. It stands out, and it kind of represents me perfectly. So I, yeah, I'm, I have a massive interest in fashion, particularly men's fashion. Um, and if, and a, a lot of people that know me know that I'm almost always well-dressed. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say always, cause there are times where, where I'm, I dress like a, a hobo, but, um, <laughs> but, but most of the time, yeah, uh, you, you will see me well-dressed and it's, it's more something that I, I just do it and it's a habit. And so a lot of people think that my casual outfit is already too smart, but it is what it is. Um, but yeah, so that's essentially what I wanted to do with that, that for photographer kind of merge my interest in fashion and photography. And, and, you know, to go to your, 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 your question about, you know, keeping up with the fashion trends, looking through fashion magazines, funnily enough, I don't actually do that. I used to keep up with fashion trends a bit more. And when I mean keep up, I mean just just read about them. And I still do it every now and then. But um, my own personal fashion sense, it's it's a very traditional uh, Italian, very sartorial style. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of the current fashion trends are very streetwear-ish. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, so I, I like personally in my own dressing, I don't follow trends. I, I stick with what I like and, what what a lot of what I like is is more uh, traditional to the point that you can't really find them uh, in stores. Well, let, let me ask you there then. So th- this is obviously a massive thank you for taking the time to do this, and I promise I'll wrap up. So you've got something better to do tonight than listen to me talk. But um, as you're someone that has has something of a keen interest, th- I get the impression, and I'm certainly not in any way dapper or fashionable in the slightest. I'm certainly the hobo that you were referring to earlier. <laughs> but I get the impression from what I'm seeing with with sort of fashion trends, and we've always had this thing in England and certainly in America of sort of romanticizing previous decades. 
So you'd have a phase in the 90s when the 70s fashion trends came back. Or I think now in England, we're certainly seeing some of the late 90s, early 2000s stuff come back. Some of it, I really can't believe it's coming back. It's it's horrendous, but some of it is coming back. And and there, there seems to be this thing of constantly recycling old trends and finding a way to rejuvenate them. Yeah. Currently, it feels like we don't have much enjoyment of the the decade that we're in. And obviously taking aside a pandemic and and the constant political stuff that's going on, it feels like in terms of design and fashion now, it's a bit dead because everything has become very utilitarian and it's very sort of function over form. It it just feels like we've we've kind of we've kind of lost the ability to design other than for things to fit a purpose and it makes me think that in you know 20 30 years time we're just going to be recycling the same 3 or 4 decades over and over until we start to actually learn i mean you don't look at cars like modern day cars really ever and think oh that's a really good looking car that's really rare in this day and age for you to do that modern buildings tend mm. to be completely ugly and fashion trends just seem to be sort of recycled so am i am i completely off base there do i not know what i'm talking about um no i mean i uh you you are correct in that fashion trends do typically get recycled. So what was in back then and which went out of fashion basically gets in basically gets in fashion again. And it, it's just it's typically a cycle because designers will uh, will create their mood boards, you know, and they can be uh, a lot of times they get inspired by by previous fashion ideas and they try to reinterpret it um, into into the modern day. Now. For me personally, um, a, 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 I think a, a lot of my style. So when I say more traditional, it's essentially yeah, I I, I don't necessarily keep up with latest trends. And actually, a lot of the stuff that I like is actually stuff which went out of fashion. Um, so you know, pleats on trousers, for example. You talk to you talk to most most modern stylists i guess and they'll say that for for most men they should avoid pleats on trousers but i absolutely love them um and you know certain certain uh certain designs from back in the day like gurkha trousers for example which actually originated from the military and which have a a double belt closure system that's stuff that you cannot find pretty much anywhere um uh nowadays and that was kind of a style which which I guess never really made it mainstream, but it it was a style back then and I think it's maybe it's maybe popping up a bit more now, but it's it's those kind of like quirky, um uh but classic uh kind of style uh designs which I like, which I try to incorporate into my look. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I'm actually gonna ask you one more question because A, I'm a liar and B, I feel like you're actually going to be able to, it's something that I've really struggled with. I've interviewed a lot of people that photograph people, and this is always a stumbling point. They don't like to answer this question. So I'm putting my faith in you that you're going to be able to do this for me. So if I said to you right now, you get to pick one person to photograph, anyone you want, but you get to pick one person, who are you photographing? Oh, you're putting me on the spot with this. Oh, yeah. Um... One person to photograph. Oh, I I don't know. I think I'm I'm gonna have to disappoint you here. I <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm I'm kind I'm kind of blanking out right now. I mean I'm I'm pretty sure I have a list, but I'm 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 blanking and uh, and uh, to pick just one. Um, I mean, like I think it's a very much like a time sensitive thing, so. I might give an answer two weeks ago that might be different now. Like right now, if you said to me I could photograph any one person, for some reason I would have the urge to photograph Rihanna. Rihanna. <laughs> that would be the name that would jump out to me. Uh, I just think she's one of the most fascinating people in terms of looks. And she's also one of the few. So I don't feel like we have supermodels anymore. Um, I feel like we just have celebrities that get photoshopped to death in front of camera. And I feel like she's one of the few people that's in that realm that would actually perform in a photo shoot. I've seen lots of behind the scenes of her. I've seen lots of, I've got, got a couple of Vogue issues that she's in and 
I feel like she's someone that would just be a lot of fun to photograph. And because of her looks, she just wouldn't have to worry about getting good photos at all. So, but then in two weeks time, it might be someone completely different. So it can can be time sensitive, but I'm sorry for putting you on the spot, but I do keep trying this. And at some point I'm going to win with it, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, yeah, because when I think about it, I mean, now, yeah, now that I think about it, I, I, I don't really... I don't think I've really ever thought about um, if, if, if there's one person I'd want to photograph, who would it be? Um, but yeah, I mean, it would definitely probably, it would definitely be somebody that fits the, the criteria, which I mentioned earlier. So it wouldn't necessarily need to be a celebrity actually, mm-hmm. um, but just a person with a very unique look capable of, of portraying, a lot of emotion and basically be able to play a character. Um, so a person which fits that, but if I were to tell your name right now, I unfortunately could, could not. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> I tried. So on the subject of names, then let's put everyone out of their misery. Let's, let's hear the correct pronunciation of your name. Cool. Um, yeah. So my, 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 my full name. Uh, so I'm uh, Julian Christoph Romero. Van Heeswijk. Wowzers! That is a fantastic name. That is just that sounds like <laughs> that sounds you, like European you. royalty or something. That's amazing. <laughs> I wish. I'm I really wish. glad I didn't attempt to pronounce it myself. I actually changed my my name for my photography because my last name is just so unpronounceable. Especially when I was looking at working in the wedding industry, I could just see every message I was going to get was just going to be about what nationality I was or how to pronounce it or anything like that. So I tried to remove that issue and I changed it to my first and second name. And now everyone just calls me Carl, even though my name's Chris. Did I actually did notice that. Um, I, I was wondering why um, Chris Carl didn't fit your, your actual name, but uh, are you German by any chance? Cause fair, I, I think I'm going to butcher it, but fair bear. Yep. Yeah. Is, is that right? Yeah, so it's Faber. Yeah, so my family going back about, I think about a century and a half, maybe a little bit less, came over from, from sort of, well, Prussia, so Germany, I guess. I think we fleed from the French, which is, that's not something to be proud of because it's normally the other way around with the French. But yeah, we fleed from the French um, and ended up over here. And uh, there's actually something really funny. So one of my, one of my family members, when they first got to England, they wanted, um, they wanted names that sounded English, I guess, to not stand out or or whatever. And yeah. they settled on ham. So I have relatives that are called, they're, they're, they're gone, their ancestors at this point, but they settled on the name Harry Ham. And then his wife, I think, was called Fanny Ham, which is just so so horrendous like <laughs> like it's just the most embarrassing oh branch of the family tree like if you're gonna pick any name in the world don't like do a little bit of research on the language you know just a tiny bit but yeah german i think the name is actually dutch because Faber in dutch means like to dye something like to to color it so i think it might be dutch previous to that but that's just the way it goes you know um and then the most important part of the whole podcast is that we push as many people as possible towards your work. So website, Instagram, any way that people can find what you do, please tell us now, plug away. Um, cool. Yeah. So, um, my, uh, my website is, you know, www.thatdapperphotographer.com. Um, my Instagram handle is that dapper photographer. So yeah, pretty much if you, if you want to find me on any social just try typing in that dapper photographer and if something pops up it's probably me amazing again i I know i've said it a few times now but thank you so much for taking the time to do this it's been uh i'm just still buggered that i i I feel so let down that i didn't give you a new lens to go and find that you'd already known about it i feel like i let you down there but i tried at least i tried (laughs) especially for someone that i don't know much about gear i feel like i tried um, yeah, massive thank you for taking the time to do this. I really do appreciate it. 
Uh, I mean, Chris, yeah, th- thank you very much for inviting me on the podcast. You know, a- again, uh, a- extremely flattered to be invited on. Uh, really enjoy myself. First podcast I've actually ever done. Um, and yeah, I, I, I had a good time. Someone brought